Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. Our guest today is Shifu Chris. When he was a teenager training in his backyard in Long Island, New York, he dreamt of living in Asia and starting with the Masters. We will discuss how he was able to make it a reality as he lived in China for 13 years and trained in Shaolin Kung Fu. Good morning, Shifu. How's everything going? Excellent. Excellent. Thank thank you for taking out the time. I really appreciate it. How do we address someone like yourself on a personal basis? I know our students, and I say Shifu, you say it a little differently. Would you mind saying it the way you say it? Uh, Shifu. Because you lived in China for 13 years. Um, My name is Sifu Raphael, and people call me Sifu for short. But, you know, my friends call me Raphael. When when I talk to people on a one-on-one basis, you know, for me, Raphael is always is always good. How do you like to be called? Um, I'm also fine with just being called by Chris. Uh, yeah, that's even even students they can call me Chris if they want. I don't really, I, you know, I, I I leave it up to them. Um, gotcha. As far as what they want to call me, I, I but, understand. Uh, Chris is fine with me. Cool, cool. Uh, so. Chris, how did you get started? This was back in the 70s. Uh, my parents came from a dance background, so they both had backgrounds in dance. So I think I kind of like was uh, just naturally inclined to do some kind of physical art. So this was in the 70s. I was about nine years old, and I saw my first Bruce Lee movie. And uh, right after that, I just became hooked, and uh, I became a fanatic, not only with the martial arts, but with uh, Asian culture. But um, I didn't get my chance to start studying until I was 11. Let me uh, let me ask you something. What movie was that? Do you recall? You know, I can't remember exactly which one it was. I, I remember it was like on a little small black and white TV in my bedroom. <laughs> that I remember. Yes, yes. I remember those movies. They used to be uh, the matinee on, on Saturdays. I think it was uh, Saturday afternoons at either 3 or 5 o'clock. Yeah, I used sure. to watch them as well. So not till you were 11. So what brought you to start studying when you were 11? Um, I had a deal with my parents. Um, they said, you get a certain grade and, and we'll send you to the school. And, you know, I wasn't, I, I was, you know, I, I mean, I, I guess I was an okay student, but not the best. And it took me two years to get that grade. And when, finally, when I did, there was only, you know, this was, so now we're talking about like the early 80s. And there was basically two martial arts schools, you know, in the whole entire area. And one was Tang Sudo Karate. And the other, which unfortunately I didn't start studying until six months before they closed, was a, uh, a, mar- a kung fu school. They actually had a kung fu school nearby. Um, oh. and, but, but the one that was closest to me was a karate school. So I, I started training there. And, you know, now that I look back at at the time, I didn't really you know, think it was – I loved it, of course, because I love martial arts. But I didn't think it, the school was in particularly, you know, something special. But now how things have changed so much, I look back at it and I think, like, wow, that was a, that was a great school. You know, we used to have – 
two hour classes, um, wooden floor, you know, you, you step on the floor, you're quiet, you know, serious, you know, you could talk in the, in the cha- you know, changing room, but there was no like giggling or in class and there was no like sell, 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 you know, it's, things have just changed dramatically. They totally have. Right. I mean, the atmosphere in a typical martial arts school now, it's some of them have romper room, um, you know, when they're dealing with the kids. And with the adults, it's a little bit not really focused as to what's going on. They don't have respect for some of the masters or the techniques being shown because I've seen it so many times where the master can be showing a technique and the students are talking in the background. So you're right. It's it's old school and things have changed so drastically. So we know that Bruce Lee influenced you. Who would you say influenced you as well? Pretty much the same as you. When I was growing up, I would watch the uh, five, uh, Channel 5, 3 o'clock, uh, Shaw Brothers film, the old yes, Kung Fu yes. movies. From, oh, absolutely. The 70s. We had a little yard. It was right next to like a, a big highway kind of. And uh, I would, you know, put on my, I'd watch the film. I put on my karate, karate uniform afterwards. And I'd go in the backyard and train and just like kind of pretend I was, I was like in the mountains of Shaolin or something. <laughs> and so that was, yeah, those, those were a big influence on me. And then, you know, so like every, every once in a while, I would journey into, uh, into Manhattan and go to Chinatown. And that was like a magical experience. Um, I remember there was a couple of, you probably had the same experiences because we're both from Long Island, right? Right, uh, right going to a couple of those um, big martial arts supply stores in Chinatown. Um, those are really cool. And then later on, like in the nineties, I kind of like looked up to uh, hoist Gracie, although, you know, I never, I did some jujitsu, but it wasn't my thing, but uh, I grew up with the older brother who grappled. So I had respect for the grappling arts. And uh, I liked what hoist Gracie did. in like in the early, early UFCs, cause he had a uniform on, he kind of like almost represented like a traditional martial artist. And he took out, you know, everybody who's a smaller guy using technique and he 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 he, oh, he fought calmly too, which I liked. You know, I respected the fact that he he was a calm fighter. You know, used technique over like uh, over speed and strength. It's funny that you you mentioned that because in some of those fights, it looked like he was going to get creamed, and out of nowhere, he just pulled out an armbar. You know, concept of being calm is so important in martial arts. I, I know that you lived in China when and you had that as a kid, right? That was your dream. When did that come to fruition for you? I was, I was already in my mid-30s. Um, I, was, I wasn't a young guy. I was already, uh, the first time I took a trip there, I think I was uh, 30, 34. And we took a two-week trip uh, to Beijing to do some internal um, Kung Fu, Tai Chi, Xingyi, uh, Bao Gua Zhang. And uh, when I went there, I, I met somebody who I became friends with. And um, when I left, I said, you know, hey, I, I want to stay here. I want to move here for a while. I want to live here. And uh, they recommended, you know, I was like, what could I do if I did that? You know, how could I support myself? How can I make a living? And they said, you could teach English. And I said, okay, you know, let me look into that. And then I went back home and I, I took an online course to be an English teacher as a foreign language. I saved up some money. And so I already had a contact there. So it kind of made life a little bit, e- well, made life a lot easier. So of I had course. a place to go. Of course. And, um, and someone helping me get a job. And then, you know, originally it was like supposed to be one year, two years. I wound up being 13 years. Oh, wow. That's, that's really incredible. When you arrived in China, you, you lived in this person's home? What they did was they actually um, helped me get an apartment. So I kind of had, had a place to, yeah, I had a place to live. And they, you know, already like kind of hooked me up with a job. 
and I already had the context as far as like uh, martial art instructors go because of course that was that was my main thing. I wanted to study martial arts, but also be surrounded by the culture because, like I said, since I was a kid, I was like, you know, I I loved everything Asian. So like being in the culture was just as important to me as like doing the martial arts. So um, yeah, so I had everything kind of hooked up for me. I mean, I didn't speak a word of Chinese. Uh, you know, even for the first year, I could barely speak Chinese. So that must have um, so, been a little was, tough, huh? <laughs> it, it, well, you know, it, it, it actually, you think it, it depends where you are in China because this was, that was Beijing at the time. And mm-hmm. Beijing, you know, is a big modern city and everybody studies English there. You know, everybody wants to know English. It's like part of their, their life because it helps them with business. It helps them with school. So you're teaching English. You're, you're surrounded by people who only want you to speak English. So the only time you really got to use Chinese, like you go to the store and buy something. You know, I always had people helping me with complicated stuff. So it, it wasn't as hard as you think. The typical thing is the culture is so, so different. And people behave in ways that, you know, Americans would think is really bizarre. And that's, you know, a little bit awkward. That That's the hard part about living in China. Would you, would you share one of those stories with us? Okay, well, you know, like, let's say we're, we're from New York, right? We, let's say we're in, like, New York City or something. The last thing we're going to do is start staring at a stranger, you know, for prolonged periods of time. But in China, this is really common because, you know, Waigoden, which is a foreigner, is really interesting to them. So they'll, they'll stand there and literally stare you in the eyes, like, for a prolonged amount of time. And, you know, if you don't have thick skin, that could, that could get really, really challenging sometimes. Probably, you probably go, uncomfortable. It's, like, <laughs> it's very, yeah, it's very, and I'm, and I'm super sensitive to that. It's like being a celebrity, but without the, the money and the fame. You know, it's like the bad part of being a celebrity. <laughs> I hear you. Right, right, right. Wow. So, so people staring at you for a prolonged time is, is uh, pretty interesting. Who was your first instructor in China? And what style did you do? It was Bagua Zhang. And um, I'd have to look in one of my articles to remember. I don't remember his name. No honest, problem. But, uh, but I know his, his family name was Zhang, like Bagua Zhang. Mm-hmm. Zhang. So it was uh, Bagua Zhang, internal um, Kung Fu. And uh, we used to train in the park, a beautiful park in Beijing. It was really, really nice. There was some just beautiful scenery. And we trained outside, you know, wintertime and everything, outside in the park. Uh, we did one-on-one training. And then I also, oh, I also did Bagua Zhang, I mean, uh, Zhongguo Shuaijiao, Chinese wrestling. And, and my teacher's name was Zhou Shuishong. And he's pretty famous in, uh, in that circle of, uh, Chinese, uh, Beijing Chinese wrestlers. So he was one of my first teachers too. So I was cross training in two systems. Bagua Zhang, internal, uh, Kung Fu, the one where they walk in a circle and they use a lot of palm strikes. And I was also going and training like about twice a week with the, uh, professional Chinese wrestlers in Zhongguo Shuaijiao. And um, that was brutal because I was already getting up there in age. I was already like mid to late 30s. And I was training with these guys who were like 20, 21, 22, 23. Um, and they would train all day long. It was like their job. And they were, it was a really rough sport. And I used to get my butt handed to me regularly. And that led to my next coach who is Yao Hong Gong. And he's, he's famous in China now. But when I, when I knew him, he was, he was a nobody. He started out with Chinese wrestling. Um, which is like judo, but they wear short sleeve jackets and they throw each other. Mm-hmm. And um, there's, there's no groundwork. And he was a was a wrestler, full time wrestler. And he went on to be a, a MMA fighter, a successful mm-hmm. one in China. Well, His little brother Yao Yao Jiaqui, actually fought in the UFC. He's not famous or anything, but he's he's fought in undercards in the UFC. His brother Yao Jiaqui. So those guys went on to be really successful. 
And, really um, cool, really cool. Yeah. So I, I appreciate you, you know, letting us know what's what the style did. Out of the two styles that you studied, which would you say is your favorite? I mean, this was when I was in Beijing. I mm-hmm. was doing those those systems. Out of those two, I liked them equally. They were both because I, for me, I mean, I'm not a hardcore fighter, but I like I like to you you know I like to spar and I like to do practical training. So I mean, like the wrestling. It was it was it was fun and it was intense, but I wouldn't want to do it like on a daily basis. It was just too much for my body. Um, so I like the art aspect too, and the Bagua Jong has a lot of that. You know, the solo trill. I like to kind of balance the two. So I felt they were both really um, interesting, and I actually used Bagua Jong techniques in a, in a couple of actual real fights. So I believe that it's also effective as far as martial arts goes. Oh, without a doubt. You know, I always say that a martial art is true when you can use it if you can't use it to me it's kind of a waste so that's cool that you were able to use it how long would you train for uh, in a session an hour two hours three hours four hours yeah the bagua john classes were private lessons they were done about an hour in the park and it was tough because the weather sometimes is freezing you know beijing the winter's really cold really dry really windy and the people there are super tough like my teacher never wore a hat, and one day I forgot my hat, and I was like, ah, oh, he can do it, I can do it. Middle of the winter in Beijing, I got a splitting headache, like, the same, I think it was the same day the next day. I'm trying to trying to be tough like that, <laughs> training in the wintertime <laughs> without a hat on. Right. The Shuai the classes were like two hours and at a time, because those guys are professional trainers. They would train like two hours, rest, do another two hours, maybe do another hour. But that training is brutal, man. It was, you know, like, um, the way they train, they use a lot of muscle strength in, in, in the Chinese wrestling. And they do a lot of physical conditioning and they, they really manhandle you when they spar. You know, they're sparring is they'll grab the guy, pull, 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 chuck him to the floor. And they just, they kind of manhandle you, you know? So like, I mean, it was just hardcore, man. Like that training was intense. And it was like done in this little, like kind of like in the back, kind of like a suburb, but more like a country. Mm-hmm. And they had this like army bunker type of thing. It was like uh-huh. an army bunker turned into a, a, a wrestling gym. And they had all these traditional training equipment. Uh, it was a really unique experience, but to be honest, you know, I'm not great at Chinese wrestling and I never was. I did it cause I always wanted to try it and I did it for a couple of years, but it wasn't like my forte. I wasn't uh, great at it. So, so with, with all that training, you moved on to other styles, correct? <laughs> yeah. When did you realize that you wanted to start sharing what you've learned with other people or how did that come around? I mean, I've had this idea since since I was a kid training in my backyard, but I haven't, you know, like, for example, in the early 90s, I, I worked out of school for three years. I, I coached for three years full time. That was my job. I did some coaching when I was in living in Songshan Shaolin, which is the, the, the village outside the Shaolin Temple, because I, I, I got into Shaolin Kung Fu and I did that. And that's what I teach now. I always had this idea, but it was never... It hasn't been a full-time thing for me until right about now. I just got my own space. Oh, congratulations. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So I did it for three years uh, in the 90s, and then I I did a little bit on and off between that time. And then I did some coaching when I was living in the mountains of Shaolin. We had a foreign guest who would come, and I would help my teacher teach them. And now is the first time in my life where I'm doing this on my own with my own space. Nice. You're not going to be doing that alone, are you? You have someone special who's going to be joining you, am I right? Yeah, my wife is my assistant instructor, and she's amazing. She, uh, she's, she's from China. She does Kung Fu. She's not a you know, master of that level, but she's about a, like an intermediate level. Did some training and uh, 
Feng Shan Shaolin, and I train her now. She helps the students, and she also teaches them Chinese. And uh, it's really cool because we have the way we're running our, our school now is, is is very different than the conventional school. We have a a space that's not like a um, a strip mall space, so the rent is a lot lower. So we can try, hopefully, to focus on teaching the way we want to teach, and we're also keeping our jobs, or you know, in the future, probably, hopefully, part time jobs. Right now, we're both working full time jobs, but when we pick up and you know start to be able to pay the rent with it, we want to you know cut back our time um, and our jobs and do this the majority of the time. Yeah, we're trying to make this like, you know, my first job when I came back from the U.S., I've been back in the U.S. two years, was teaching at a at a very commercial school. And the experience was, was in my opinion, awful. I, I, I didn't like it one bit. Oh, wow. Um, it didn't, didn't, even, didn't even feel like martial arts. Didn't even really? feel like I was in a martial arts school. That, well, you <laughs> know, that's, I, that's what I've been talking about. A lot of these places, it's all, it's, it's mostly about the money and not the student. Am I right? I, I mean, I, I guess you have a, a ton of more experience than I do with this, but in that brief experience, I don't even know how to put it into words. I mean, it didn't even seem like a martial arts school to me. I mean, there were some of, some of the teachers are actually really good martial artists. They dedicate themselves, but the organization and the way they run it, just mind-boggling, man. I, to me, it's, I don't know what it is. It just doesn't feel like a martial arts school to me. Well, you know, personally, I, I, I feel that failure is an opportunity to grow and become more successful. What have you learned from your failures? How can I say? I don't know. I mean, just for me, there's just no quit because I don't have an option. You know, like even when I went to China, I was I didn't have a whole lot to leave behind. I wasn't doing anything fantastic with my life. I was living in a bad neighborhood with crime and I was working a, uh, you know, just a job that I wasn't really into. And so I, it wasn't like there was no like people tell me, oh, my God, you're so brave. You did. I was like, yeah, but I had no choice. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> you know, it's like do or die. Right, I right, feel right. that way now too. You know, we we came back to the U.S. We had no car. I didn't have a driver's license. Um, we had we were living at a friend's house, and you know, like it was just start from scratch. And now, you know, things are going a little better, and it's just struggle. It's still a struggle, you know. It's still a daily struggle. But I feel I I've been re I read this one book um, that's really good. It was about you know how to run a successful school, and the guy um, he said you know don't think of it as a money transaction. Just do your best. Teach your best. People are going to appreciate it, and eventually you're going to have a good amount of students. So right now, you know, we have not so many students, but um, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm loving it. And we just started, you know, basically, literally, we had this space for like two weeks. So oh, wow. um, I'm, I'm just really excited about it, and I'm trying to think of it like just just do it because you love it, and it'll all fall into place, you know. And I'm, I'm hoping that's what happens. <laughs> it will. You know what? Because if your passion is there and you're actually looking to pass down the style, of what you're doing, I think that will help you. Where, where's your, your place located at? Um, Alexandria, Virginia. Cool, cool. So how are you getting uh, members? Word of mouth? Well, are you advertising? Yeah, we, we were, we're doing some advertising on Google, and, you know, it gets us a lot of emails. Um, this month, not so many, but I'm thinking because of the holidays. But, um, but we get a lot of emails, but... Um, I need a lot of work on getting those emails into coming in for a trial classes. I need, I need a lot more practice on that because those numbers are not, are not good. So my advertising skills are pretty good actually online. Uh, I did a decent job, um, getting, getting those emails, but I got to do a better job turning them into, uh, into trial classes, I think. Right. So that's yeah. a skill I gotta learn. That's always the struggle and that goes with every school, including 
you know, the, the high-end schools. So how long would you say you've been coaching overall? Hmm, good question. If I, if I were to condense it all into like, a, like a, an amount of time, I would say it would probably be like equivalent to maybe four years of, of coaching. If I condense my like four decades of coaching into a time period, probably like close to like four years of, of coaching, I would say. Let me ask you, and I'm sure you've, in those four years, you've encountered obviously different types of people. What is your biggest fear when you're, you're training someone as far as their training or their interpretation of what you're teaching them? You know, I, I think my biggest fear is the commercialism. I mean, I, 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 you know, because I'm such a purist and maybe I'm a little naive, you know, I feel like I want to, you know, I want to teach this like as an art. I don't, you know, but then there's always like in the back of my mind, oh, am I making them happy? Oh, are they going to quit? Oh, I have to get another student. And this maybe interferes a little bit with how I teach. You know, that's probably my biggest fear. In understanding how you teach and developing your system, because you're going to teach a little bit different than anybody else you've trained with. Am I right? Mm-hmm. You've created kind of your own, when I say system, your own style of teaching, how you relate Absolutely. to people and how you make things happen. Mm-hmm. What would you do differently than, say, some of the instructors you've had? Well, right now, because, okay, so I've been teaching Shaolin Kung Fu, traditional northern Shaolin Kung Fu in the U.S. for a couple months. We had a small space we were renting. We used twice a week, and now we have our own space. So it's all kind of kind of fresh to me. And what I'm doing is, because in, in Songshan Shaolin, the students are full-time. So they'll spend, let's say, like an hour kicking pads, an hour doing warm-ups, an hour doing basics, an hour doing form. But I kind of took all that and condensed it into, like, let's say, an hour and 20-minute class. And it seems to work great. I mean, I, if one thing I'm super confident about is my curriculum. It's, it's a fantastic curriculum. So I'm still experimenting with it, like as far as the, uh, the self-defense goes. Like I, I like to do a decent amount of partner work, you know, because I'm also teaching a Chinese Kung Fu system. And, you know, some Chinese Kung Fu systems, they, they focus a lot of the time on the solo drills. I try to do it maybe 50-50, 50% solo drills, 50% partner drills. So I we hit pads. We do um, conditioning, two-man drills, conditioning drills, self-defense. That's about it for now. So um, I'm trying to formulate this and, you know, like as far as the uh, self-defense techniques goes, I'm kind of still working out the material as far as which one to teach first, which one to teach second. But Saturday I had a class. It was a small class, but a great class. We played some uh, Buddhist music in the background and the class just went beautifully. You know, I I think it's going really nice. I I don't think that's going to be a problem at all. I feel I have a great curriculum. I have a great experience to share. Um, I think the the main problem is is going to be uh, making this a business and how to run this as a business and also keep it pure at the same time. That's that's a struggle for sure. Because, you know, in our country, in America, everything's become a McDojo. Everybody wants to know how fast can I get a black belt. Parents, sometimes they'll drop off kids and not even see what their kids are doing. They think it's childcare. How do you feel about yeah. that? We're trying to we're trying to do something a little different. We're, we're, because our rent is actually a lot cheaper than most people would be paying. So we're we're, we're trying attempting this, and hopefully it works. But we want to teach ten uh, year olds and up, um, and we're going to put them into the uh, adult class so they all teach together. We only had one. Actually, it's it's interesting because every single one, almost every single one of our leads are adults. I don't know. Maybe they're just drawn to our website because there's a lot of you know authentic pictures and stuff. So. 
It doesn't seem to draw in a lot of kids, which is okay because we, you know, I really, there might be a time where we, you know, we change our mind, but as of now, I really want to, I don't want to teach three-year-olds. I know every single school does, and I'm not knocking it at all. I'm not knocking it one bit because I, I know how great that is for, for young children. I just feel like it kind of becomes something else. Like, you know, it's more like the school that I, I taught for for four months when I first came back to the U.S. was, you know, their, their children's class is more like a, how do we stand still? How do we listen? How do we sit down? You know, it doesn't, it's almost not like a martial art class, like a, like you said, almost like a daycare type of thing. And, you know, 10 year olds, in my experience, they can, they can follow instructions and understand what's being told to them. And that's also the age that they start in, uh, Song Shan Shaolin speaking. There's, there's 10 year olds, sometimes nine year olds. Right, right. I, I totally, level. I totally agree with you on, on how classes are taught for kids. In my classes, all my kids learn weapons. I don't care. I, I do take them at four years old, but they start learning a staff right away. And parents are like, my kid's going to learn that. Yep. And I'm going to teach them how to hold it. I'm going to teach them how to swing it, how to, you know, how to do sots and all this kind of stuff. And the parents are okay. <laughs> because right now, it's a way for kids to understand how to move their bodies better. And I think that's one of the problems with kids, they don't know how to move. And then you get some kids who are very gifted, and they're very natural. I've seen some, some kids compete in wushu at eight years old, and they move better than some of the adults I've seen do it. So it's all based on the kid and the, their abilities. But if we start training the kids in a way that they learn to move their bodies because they have a weapon in their hand, they have no choice. The weapon is going to determine how they move their body. And, you know, in the beginning, yes, it's going to be a little faulty. They're not going to be able to do it right. But the more they do it, and they have to carry it every time they come to class. So that's a, a way for me to be able to teach kids and to get them to be focused because I, I let them know if you're not focused and, and you turn around, you're going to hit somebody with that. So all of a sudden they're like, yes, sir, you know. <laughs> so they start understanding. Awesome. Yeah, they start understanding things a little bit better than than kids who don't do any weaponry. How do you feel about kids who are, say, 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old, and all of a sudden they have to partner up with a 28-year-old? The kid may you know, be okay, but yeah. the adult may not be okay. Yeah, I had a couple uh, before when I first, we, right before the uh, coronavirus hit, um, we had a little space in it. It's interesting because they uh, there was one kid who was... Six, one child who was six years old, one that was like maybe 11 years old, and then one that was like a teenager. And uh, my wife is really small. Sometimes I will pair her up with, uh, with, the, with the child. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had, since, since we've been, we, that place closed down, and then we started teaching again a couple months ago and uh, using a, renting a space, and there was one child in the class. And usually I would just pair her up with my wife because she's, she's small. So um, I haven't had that problem. But I like to, um, I mean, I have, you know, maybe that'll come across in the future. I just try to base it on their, their size. I always pair up the people um, with a strategy in mind. Like I have one student who's got a secondary black belt in karate. I purposely, you know, strategize who I'm going to put him with, you know, because, you know, people with a lot of experience, sometimes they have a little bit, you know, they feel a little more confident than other people. Put them together, like, you know, for a specific reason. So I try to strategize, like, who goes with who. I remember when I studied a little judo, they used to put the black belts with the white belts. And the uh, the white belts, when they practice their throws, uh, the black belt would kind of like let him throw, let him get let himself get thrown. And even when they did their randori, their sparring, they would like 
the white belt and the black belt would spar together and the white belt would uh the black belt would let him let himself get thrown and this was like was a really good way of teaching people how to use the technique kind of a freestyle manner but not with a whole lot of pressure so i kind of use that strategy <laughs> you know it's funny i, I do the same so it, it's a very good strategy and i agree with you because it lets a beginner work with someone who's experienced and it lets the experienced person be humble enough to allow someone to train because they'll recall when they started and they were able to train with someone more advanced than them. So I think that's a, a really good way of training people. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. In, in, in China, for example, the uh, the Chinese wrestlers, because maybe because they're professionals and they compete and stuff, but they didn't have that strategy because they didn't have a whole lot of guests. You know, let's say a guy like me doing it part-time coming in, and they would they would just take a beginner and put him with like a guy who's been doing it for a long time, and like they would just say, okay, go. And then the, guy would, the, the advanced <laughs> guy would just throw him around like a rag doll. I thought that was crazy. I didn't think that was a good method, you know. It's a different method. <laughs> so can also be good depending on the beginner because if the beginner says i'm going to learn from every every time i get thrown or i'm going to learn from everything that's that's the difference of a person who wants to learn and a, and who wants to be present to another person who's like oh no i'm going to get my butt kicked that that's that's a little different and not everybody can handle that so obviously you did because you learned from it and you went through that you know so it's kind of cool you know, I, I, I have so much to learn about running a school. I, you know, maybe maybe you could be a mentor to me because you have so much more experience with it than I do. It'd be my pleasure. You know, one of the things that I've done is I've had mentors. The knowledge they give you, you have to sometimes take with a grain of salt because maybe it worked for them and it doesn't necessarily work for your your situation. But as long as you can realize that and take the advice and be open about it, then then you, you're going to be okay with having a mentor. I have no problem helping anyone who, who says, I, I have trouble with this, trouble with that. I know you reached out to me recently about someone, and I gave you some advice. So the thing about mentors is they have to be willing to give it. And unfortunately, what's happening, especially with 2020, there's a lot of people online trying to be mentors, but it's attached to a price tag so and everybody's like oh i'm gonna help you become great and the minute you tell them oh i can't afford you they're like all right have a nice day <laughs> so yeah i had this experience already actually and i was surprised but not too surprised but i, I didn't know because it wasn't straight you know didn't necessarily mention it at the beginning i understand i mean if you're going to spend an hour with someone coaching them, sure you know i i I, I, w I wouldn't expect anybody to, to spend, you know, their time like that for free. Uh, just a little, you know, tip here and there, I think. No, that's but, uh, that's good. <laughs> you, you know, some some mentors are willing to take people, but the problem is that people don't ask the question, would you help me? And and that's that's where we are in, in this world, where people are not asking for help because they're also afraid like, oh, that guy's just in it for the money. But there are real mentors out there who are willing to help people out. I think that um, there, there are some mentorships that people could probably go online and look up. People who are retired, people who are willing to help other people out. 
but it's it's something that I believe a real mentor sh- is somebody who's going to be willingly able to give you advice. What are your goals as a coach? What would your your goals that you you obviously have goals because you're just getting into the game of having your own place. What would you say is your your short-term goal and your long-term goal? Right now, I'm I'm extremely happy to be teaching because I've I've done martial arts. It's been almost four decades, I would say, give or take a couple of years. Um, and the majority of the time, I've been studying. Even up until like two and a half years ago, I was in in the mountains of Shaolin, training with teenagers alongside teenagers. You know, as a middle-aged man, so like I feel like this is getting ridiculous already. I should be teaching, you know. So now I'm, I'm teaching, you know, like three days a week. And again, the classes are small, but that's not what I'm focusing on. I'm focusing on the fact that I'm, I'm doing this, you know, I'm teaching and the people love it. You know, the, the students I have right now, they love it. And, you know, I feel like this is so, they're lucky. They're real lucky to have me as a teacher compared to all the other schools around here. I mean, they're, they're getting something that's just, you know, out of this world, I think. And um, I'm just so happy to be teaching this stuff. I just, you know, I just love it. So Right now, it's just doing this like a couple of times a week is making me happy. Um, so that's my that's my main thing right now is just to be teaching. Uh, you know, I want to spread this art because Shaolin Kung Fu is, you know, like if you, if you trace the history, it's, you know, the origin of most Asian martial arts. And you don't see it being taught anywhere. You know, you see a couple of guys, a couple of monks or full-time, you know, students from China who, who have a school and they're famous and they got a lot of students. And that's it, you know, and, and, and they do things like that in China. They, they, they like to control things in a, in a very strict way. And, um, I mean, I don't know if that's really great for this art because, you know, they have a, they have a, a booming tourist business there. A lot of people go in and out of Shaolin tourists. And then they got a couple of monks who have, you know, hundreds of students. And then that's it. Nobody else is doing Shaolin Kung Fu. And yeah, that's cool for a while, but the, the art's not going to spread that way. So, I want to teach this art. You don't have to be Chinese to do Shaolin Kung Fu. You have to know the style, you know. I want to teach and spread this art. Uh, that's one thing. So I'd like to I'd like to have students that become teachers. That that would be awesome. And I've got a couple right now that are really dedicated, and I think they'll make great coaches in the future. You know, so that's that's something I would love to do. Some of my students become coaches. That that's awesome. Let let me give you a little bit of advice. Every time you see them, let them know that. Mm-hmm. Let them know cool. how you feel about them. Say to them, hey, I think you're going to be a great coach. Or I think you're going to be a great instructor. I think you're going to be a great black belt. Now, that I just mentioned black belt, how do you do that? Do you go through the belt system? Did you create one? Because in China, am I right? You're not really based on belts. It's based on knowledge. That's how I teach. I teach based on knowledge. Even though for Americans, they need a reward system. They need to be to understand, hey, I'm a white belt, I'm a yellow belt, I'm so belt, this belt, that belt. How do you do it? I, I actually like the idea of, of uh, having a rank system. The reason, two, re- two reasons why, um, or three reasons why. One, it encourages them um, to like have a goal. Two, I like the idea of structuring the curriculum because I'm teaching traditional Northern Shaolin Kung Fu and I've put it like, yeah, like you said, put it into my own um, format, let's say. It's, it's all traditional stuff I learned in Function Shaolin, but I put it into a method of teaching it here in America. So I like the idea of organizing the curriculum. So we got this level to work on, this level to work on. So it encourages them. It organizes the material, in my opinion. And also, uh, yeah, kind of a reward. 
And I think it's not done like like as a commercial, like, like okay, I'm going to reward you. You're going to pay next month. I, I, I appreciate them spending their time and coming, you know, to my class. And I want to reward them for that. I feel like I appreciate, you know, them, them taking their time, coming to my class, dedicating themselves. And, you know, I want to say, you know, thank you. you you've, you've, you've done something, you know, and, and I'm going to show you I appreciate it. So I have like a little yellow sash, which actually is, it doesn't take a long time to get. But it's like, yeah, again, it's like a kind of they, they learn the material. And I don't test them. I don't, as of this time now, I don't test them. As long as they know the material, spent the amount of time and dedication, I kind of present it to them. Very and, cool. Uh, Very cool. So that's what, that's what I'm trying to do. What, what's a, a, a belt? Do people get a black belt with you, a black sash? Do you do belts or sashes? Um, we're going to do the sash thing. Okay. I yeah, I do the same. Do they become a black belt or a different belt, like a brown, a, a higher belt? And what color would that be when you want them to start maybe helping with classes? I know you just got started, but that's something I would recommend um, that you do to give them a goal of, hey, I want to be, maybe I want to do the warm-up or I want to lead this part of the section of the class. And that will start to bring you instructors. Oh, no, it's interesting because I, I, I've kind of started that with these students already. Uh, we had a small class Saturday and they both, you know, have, have some experience in prior martial arts. And I had them uh, kind of like split it up. Okay, you do a couple of the uh, warm-ups and you do a couple of the warm-ups. And they, they loved it, you know. And I said, and I, I told them, you know, because this, this is so you can learn how to teach this stuff. But as far as like the assistant instructor and the color sash, I don't know. Maybe you can. Well, how do you do it? All my brown belts have to uh, help in class. And it's not, they don't have to give me extra time, but it could be in a class they're in. And I'll say, okay, I want you to work with this person so that they understand that I'm only going to have them work with someone if they know the material well. If they're not 100% sure, even though they may be a brown belt and they don't do it so well, I don't want them working with someone that they're going to help with because they're going to teach them the wrong way. So I'll take a brown belt and I'll say, okay, I want you to work with um, you know, Tommy over here and I want you to help him in this aspect. And that way, I know that they know the material well. They will be able to help the newer person or the lower belt person so that they can get the material better. And it's a way of them. And, and one of the things that I've learned is if I can teach someone, that means I understand the move. And if I understand the move, I can, I can share it. And the way I tell my students is, for you to share, you have to know it inside and out. You have to know it forwards. You have to know it backwards. So it puts it in their mind like, oh, Sifu's going to ask me to teach somebody something. I better get, you know, I, I really better hone on my skills and make sure I'm doing my, my techniques correctly. And then the other thing that I'm always encouraging, and I know in the old days it was not encouraged, is to ask questions. I always encourage my, my students to ask questions. I say, because if you don't know what you're doing, why are you doing it? So for me, the more knowledge they have, the better it is. And the more questions they ask, the more involved they are. So questions are huge, and getting them to help other people is huge. The thing that we also have to consider is how they view themselves. So a lot of times I'll even take video of them when they're doing a technique because we, I think everybody as a person, looks at themselves 
differently than everybody else looks at them. So when, when I say your arm is not going all the way up, in their mind they're going, my arm's going all the way up. And so when they're not looking, I'll take a little video and maybe I made a couple of corrections on them and they'll do it when I first make the correction and they'll go back to the old habit. And then I'll bring out the video and I'll go, hey, take a look at this. And they're looking. I say, what do you see? And they're like, oh, my arm's not going up. I'm like, yeah. So I want you to really make a conscious effort to make your arm go all the way up. They're like, oh, that's good. Thank you. Thank you. So just having your phone somewhere that you can actually take a quick little video of your students and show them how they look is a great way for them to say, hmm, I want to be more in touch with my movements. And that helps them a lot. And it also helps them understand that you're there for them. You know, it's not it's not just show up and, and thank you and see you later. It's more like I'm investing my time, my effort, my energy, and my focus is on you when you're with me. And that that really drives home to to our members. Hey, you know, he actually cares. That sounds great. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Probably That's a little tip for you. I also like... Like to focus on the students and the, and the quality of the training, um, and not just—I mean, not just the commercialism. Because, like, that school I, I, I worked for four months at, their their main focus it was interesting. I worked at worked at a school. There was two other teachers. One was the, the head teacher who owned three schools, and another was uh, kind of like a, a teacher in training. And these guys—they only train twice a week. <laughs> they don't train any other day other than two times a week. The rest of the time is all focused on getting new students, making phone calls, you know, handing out flyers and everything else other than the actual training. I thought that was mind boggling because even when in the nineties, when I, when I taught for three years, it was first generation McDojo, I would call that school, but mm. it was still like a real martial arts school. I mean, we used to train all the time and we would sit there and chat about stuff, you know? So, wow. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> like the focus is not even on the students anymore. It's just like enrollment and keep them, keep them coming back for more. It's crazy. <laughs> It is, it is. What would you have done differently if you can go back? Uh, go back in time? Yeah. Um, I dedicate a lot of my time to music, and that was a waste of time. I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend so much time doing music. I would have focused more on some, some other endeavor. But as far as like martial arts training goes, I, I think everything I did was, was right. I don't, I don't have any regrets. Awesome. That's good. Can you recall a funny story, something that maybe you were teaching somebody or it even happened to you during your, your martial arts journey? I have I too many to tell. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, or any, any interesting stories that I've go got for, one. Go I've got it. one. And it's not, um, not coaching related, but martial art related. So I was teaching uh, in Shenzhen, southern China. Uh, second city I lived in, and one of the one of the people who worked there, he had some martial art training, and we were having it was just the two of us. We were having a discussion. I demonstrated how I do the uh, Tai Chi uh, standing meditation, and he said, "Oh, that, that's not right. You're not doing it right." And you know, I, I've trained for so long. I know I know this is like a common thing. People say, "Oh, you're doing this wrong. Oh, you're doing that wrong." But then at the end of the conversation, I said, "Well, let me show you, you know, some uh, moving push hands." Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. It's like, almost like sumo wrestling. You're trying to um, move the guy out of out of a circle, and uh, you're not actually about to grab, but you can use your hands to control them. So he's a he's a pretty strong guy, pretty big guy, a lot younger than me, and he tries shoving me, and he can't budge me. And I let him I let him try a couple times, and then I kind of gently nudge him out of the circle, and he's like, "Wow, how'd you do that?" I said, "From doing this." And then I showed him the uh, standing meditation that he was telling me I was doing wrong. <laughs> I think that is pretty funny, you know, especially when people who are not 100% sure of what is going on and they come across as if they did. 
because someone else listening to that conversation might have said, oh, he's right, you know. So, yeah, I totally I totally get that. What's the best advice you would give someone who is training and wants to be a coach or a mentor? What would you pass down to them? I would say as far as wanting to be a coach. Sure. In my opinion, I would I would say, you know, focus on the art. You know, what, what is the art really about? And make that the, uh, the focus um, because I really feel like these days, I mean, I'm even seeing commercials and they have one commercial keeps popping up on YouTube and they're doing, you know, there's so many things I've seen like these days. I don't really want to, I don't want to say things that are going to offend people, but I, I'm just speaking my own personal opinion and I'm, I'm not pointing fingers, but you know, there's like, uh, like a fake smile that a lot of the instructors have, you know, which I, I, under, I understand that's important because when you're teaching children, the parents are watching, uh, you know, high fives and there's just so many things that go on right now. I wonder sometimes, you know, if, if this wasn't for money, would you be doing this? You know, like birthday parties or whatever it is. So like, you know, if, if this wasn't about money, you were just teaching for the sake of teaching, would you be doing this? You know, I really wish, I mean, I, I hope that somehow this, you know, you can get back to the, the focus of the art, you know. I mean, I'm not against making money and I'm not against doing this as a living, but the way it's going nowadays, is just something, I mean, the environment of, of a strip mall for me doesn't feel like a peaceful environment. Like if I go to a strip mall, I'm going to the supermarket, I'm going to do some phone business or something. And I automatically feel a little stressed out. And, and like the way the schools are, are like all becoming like strip mall locations. It's, you know, that's why we got a, we got a building like kind of down a side street and you go around the back and you know, it's, it's something just totally different. And I, I, I like the vibe of that. It's own little world back there. It's really yeah, cool, that's cool. You know, that is cool. There are real people out there. Kudos to everybody who's doing everything for the right reasons. You know, you're going to come across a lot of people who are doing it for the wrong reasons. I mean, someone like yourself, kudos to you. You're doing it because it's your passion. And that's why we're talking today. Because for me, it's my passion to help someone, to empower someone. That's huge. What impact have you personally brought to any of your clients? I feel like, uh, I'd say like Saturday's class really went the way I want the class to go. Um, I want them to I mean, I really want them to come to my school and, and have a relief of stress. I mean, things are so stressful these days. And the commercial school I worked at was extremely stressful. You know, I feel like like the students go there and they get more stress. And I feel like that's counterproductive. I think, okay, they have enough stress in their life. Why do they got to pay to come to your school and get more stress? I mean, I'm not saying, you know, be easy on them, but it's supposed to be. I mean, you work hard and it's supposed to be enjoyable. You're supposed to feel relaxed at the end of class. You're supposed to feel good. So, Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. I, I try to, I want to, I want it to be like a, like a church or a temple feeling, you know, like you go there and you feel, you leave and you just feel like energized and, you know, peaceful and happy, you know, like that's how I used to feel when I used to take class when I was a kid, you know, I left, I was like glowing. I, I just, it was just such an amazing experience. I want, so I want really to help people relieve stress. I don't want to bring more stress to their life. I feel like that boss does that. Everybody does that. So Chris, if somebody wanted to be get in touch with you, find out more about you, what's your website and, and how else can they find you? My website is shaolinwithchris.com. So shaolinwithchris.com, no spaces. All my info is on there. They could always look me up, Facebook, Chris Friedman. My last name is Friedman. Awesome. So that, that would be the best way. Okay. Excellent. This has been really informational for me because I've always wanted to live in China. <laughs> but... My life is here. I'd love to visit. Hopefully down the line, I will be able to. So does your wife still have family in China? Yep, yep. Her family's in Dongbei, uh, northern China. Um, we spent a lot of time there together. And uh, of course, we plan they're very, very tight, the family. 
Uh, we, 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 you know, we'll definitely be there again. She has family there, and they, they talk regularly. And, you know, luckily they're really, really open-minded and super sweet and friendly. And that's we, awesome. They, you know, encourage her to do this. Where a lot, a lot of families in China wouldn't. But that's that's really cool. That that's important to have a supporting family. I think that what keeps us going is our families. Would you agree? Oh yeah, Chris. This has been fun. I really want to thank you. Don't train because someone else wants you to train. Train because you want to train. Sounds great. I, I agree, hundred percent. Excellent. Thank you so much again for being on the podcast. My pleasure. It's a wrap, yeah. You got it. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to the Coaching Call podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast for free on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts.